This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, we talk to a metal legend, vocalist Blaze Bailey. We hear the story behind his killer new album, War Within Me. And since this is the 80s glam metal cast, we have to go back in time and talk about some Wolfsbane and about his audition and his time in Iron Maiden as well. But before we get to all that, if you are listening on YouTube, please like and subscribe. And consider giving the show a donation through my podcast platform, Anchor, which is owned by Spotify. Details are in the description. It was a blast talking with Blaze. Check it out. Well, Blaze, welcome to the 80s Glam Model Cast. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing very, very well. It's embarrassing how well I'm doing. I don't like to say how well I'm doing because other other people, they start to feel bad. (laughs) Right. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm glad glad you're in good spirits. I I feel like we're going to have a great conversation today. Yeah, well, what... Do you want to talk about Mike? Well, Is it my special fish finger curry recipe? <laughs> Is that is that why you've tracked me down? You know, we or you want the details of the sausage curry? <laughs> well, we know what we can trade recipes after, but I was hoping we could talk about some heavy metal. You know? Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we start? With War Within Me, man, I've, I've been listening to this about a week straight, and uh, it's an amazing album. Uh, why don't you tell everybody about it? Well, thanks, Mike. That's very kind of you to say that. Check is in the post. <laughs> um, well, it's uh, an unusual set of circumstances. We scheduled ourselves to record War Within Me in 2020 and we got back from South America and COVID was in Europe. We did one gig in March and then everything started getting postponed, festivals postponed and uh, tour postponed and eventually dead. But we were always gonna be recording and fit those things around the recording. So what happened was, every time a festival cancelled, we were in a situation where actually we get three extra days now because we don't have to go there, perform and come back. Mm -hmm. We get three days. We can either have those three days away from recording or we can spend an extra three days on writing and recording. And that's what we did. So we were able to get things polished up even though we were still there at the deadline, you know, begging the manager for another day, we were able to get things polished up. And I think that's a part of it. We could step away and go, you know what? We don't have to listen to this for two weeks and we're still on schedule. Come back with a different outlook, be more objective and go, wow, that song sounds like it's so good somebody else wrote it and this song feels so boring i'm ashamed that my name is on it and we keep going through things like that and eventually we got there to the final mix and you never know what anybody is going to think of it you don't know if you've done something good or not until it's out there in the world 
and fans have a chance to hear it and the reaction from fans to the first single, the title track, War Within Me, was very, very positive. And it's just gone from strength to strength, really. I wanted to do something that was overtly positive, that was personal to me, spoke about my problems with depression and self-destructive nature, but also took a positive look that says, well, I can do something about this. I don't have to be a victim of circumstances and of my own mental health. I can try and make some changes. And that's what I put into the lyrics of many of the songs on the album. And I think it's come out pretty good. Some of the words and phrases I used to keep myself going in the dark times, I've used as lyrics on songs like War Within Me, Pull Yourself Up, Warrior, and it seems to have worked out well. The other luxury that I've had is the album was out before we started the tour. So many fans have had a chance to listen to it quite a bit, and we've been playing some small shows at the start of the tour, and my fans are singing along to those new songs, just like the old ones. It's an incredible, incredible feeling, and I hope the government doesn't find out how good it feels, because they're going to try and tax it. That's what, <laughs> That's how good that it feels, Mike. So it's... It's good. Some true stories, a lot of truth about my own situation, but every chord, every lyric is there to try and make you feel better at the end of the album than you did before you started listening to it. Yeah, no, I'm definitely picking up on those positive vibes. And what's so great about these songs is they're they're very catchy, uh, but they're also very heavy, you know what I mean? And, and then mix that in with that positive message, man, and it's a, it's a home run. Oh, thanks very much, Mike. Thank you. And one thing that I've got to say, I, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm like just kissing your ass nonstop here, but your voice, it seems like it sounds better than ever. Not a lot of metal people can say that. Well, I'm lucky. I'm very, very lucky. You know, the, I work very closely with Chris Appleton on the songwriting And one of the things that I have now is I know my voice very well. Mm -hmm. And we can choose a texture to fit the lyric and the emotion and the music. Why don't we use this part of my voice to go with this? How does that feel? Yes, it makes sense. No, it's a bit too growly or a bit too soft. And so as we were going through, it wasn't just that we were finding the melody, but we were saying, right, what texture, which area of the voice is going to be best here to tell 
this story. And in the writing, then we're careful as well. I try not to push things too hard. I'm very aware that if the song goes in the set, that's four, six nights a week I might have to sing that, and it has to sound good every time. So we try not to push. So that's, that's a big part of it, was choosing which area of my voice we wanted with each lyric. So on Every Storm Ends, the way that it starts is not the way that it ends. In, and, you know, it's very powerful in the ending, but it's very emotional in the start. In Warrior, it questions at the start. Can I be a warrior? I'm broken, alone, left for dead. At the beginning and at the end, it's I can be a warrior, warrior. So choosing the area of my voice for the particular part and how it is. That's been part of what we've done. And I, I think it's worked really, really well. I'm so proud of the album. And the best thing for me is my hardcore fans that have followed me through thick and thin, through the dark years, through times when perhaps I wasn't doing so well and I didn't believe in myself that much. Those fans that have stuck with me, they are saying, this could be the best thing I've ever done. After 11 albums, that is incredible for me to hear. Yeah, that's that's got to make you feel good. One thing we always do on this show is we, we go back to the 80s, right? It's the 80s glam metal cast, so... Uh, 1989, man, let's go back to Wolfsbane, uh, Live Fast, Die Fast. Uh, how, how do you look at this album all these years later? How do you feel about this album? Well, you know, it's mixed emotions, really, and I think it is for everybody or a lot of artists with their first album. And one of the, one of the things you look back now, or, you know, I look back, and me and the guys, we look back and we go... You know, that drum sound, it doesn't sound very lively um, compared to some of the albums at the time. The tragedy of the 80s and what was happening in studios is drum sounds were fashionable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you had this massive dustbin snare, we used to call it on some albums, where it was like... <laughs> <laughs> you move on and, and ever, I want that sound, I want that, I want that. I want the same sound as what Ozzy's got on his album or Twisted Sister. I want that. And then, a few years later, you, you've got um, Lars with, with quite a dry sound, but, but I want that sound. I want the Metallica drum sound. You know, uh, I, I want the, um, uh, this drum sound, that, that drum sound. So that's one of the things, really, about it. Now, when I record 
and, and when we record with Wolfsbane, we're always looking at what is a classic sound of a drum. Um, if you listen to the early recordings of Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, the drums are very, very natural, and they stand the test of time. So I think that's one of the things. Uh, as far as the rest of it goes, I think the songs, there's a strength in some of the songs. Some of them are a bit unusual. There's lots of life on the album. There are some really exuberant, enthusiastic performances, insane guitar solos and uh, and things like this. So, you know, it was, it was good, good times recording in that studio. It was our first album. We rehearsed a lot and, you know, worked with the producer for the first time. When we went out on the road, the songs came to life in a very special way that we just never expected. So it was a nice time, man. It, it was nice. If I could go back and change the drum sound, I would do. But we, we've done a couple of the songs from that album and re-recorded them as B-sides for new Wolfsbane things. And the actual songs, they stand up, man. They're still good. One thing that I never picked up much on as a kid, but when I went back and I listened to Wolfsbane, I was picking up on, when you do that style of music, I feel like there's an element of David Lee Roth that comes out in your voice. This can't be the first time you've heard this, right? Absolutely, but no, absolutely. Diamond Dave was a big influence, as was Bon Scott, the late Bon Scott. You know, it's two vocalists where, and you could probably put Mark Knopfler in, mm -hmm. in this as well, but definitely Diamond Dave and Bon Scott, where it's like a conversation, not a vocal on a record. There seems to be something about it where, yeah, this music's going on. But I'm just talking to you. I'm just vibing this. And that's what I got from Dave Lee Roth and from Bon Scott. And Dave, just not a classic singer, not a, a singer in the classic style or anything, but the elements of his voice that were really sensual and powerful always came over and I think it's the singer and the song that what Eddie Van Halen was doing was so out there at the time that here you've got Dave doing kind of half things not really bothering uh, in some places and in other places just being so sexy and dirty, you know, it's like a blue movie on a record, <laughs> then it's inc an incredible feeling. And I like that kind of expression when I'm listening to vocals. I love different expressive voices. I'm not uh, just a fan of, you know, uh, great singing like Eric Adams from Man of War, one of the greatest vocalists oh, he's awesome. of all time, yeah. in my opinion. Me too. Radically different.
to Dave Lee Roth or to other singers of that time or even Jimi Hendrix. But, you know, each one has his place. And that's the wonderful world of rock music is that we have these unusual expressive voices and certainly that was something that was a huge influence on me at the time now on this tour do you open for maiden in 1990 uh for this album um no it, it wasn't we it wasn't for that album we had the next thing was called All the Hell's Breaking Loose at Little Kathy Wilson's Place, which we recorded at Roundhouse Studio in London, and that was the record that we went on tour with Maiden in the UK, 33 sold-out shows doing the venues that they used to do years ago. It was the transition for Maiden going from theatre-style and smaller venues into the arenas that we know that they where they thrive today was some kind of relationship starting to form at this time with you and them or was it still just you were just no, the opening we, act? Just, we were the support band and i suppose the only difference was i joined the football team steve <laughs> harry said do you play football i said very badly but i can run and that was it. They were so sure to play us, they got me in the team, and it was so much fun, man. So much fun. So when, when Dickinson leaves, do you, I mean, is it just an audition, or, or did they audition a bunch of people, or did they call you directly? How did yeah. you get in? Well, I think, you know, what happened was they held a lot of auditions, had a lot of tapes in. They already had my CDs and that so I asked for an audition and I got it and I really thought they would be going for someone that sounded like Bruce mm -hmm. which a lot of great singers out there Bruce Dickinson incredibly influential in the world of metal so a lot of people that sounded or were heavily influenced by Bruce but they went for something different I don't know why but i think they chose me because i was different and that started something in the band it was the beginning of the progressive era of iron maiden when we did the x factor but i was shocked my voice was so different i thought i'll never get this but what i'm gonna do it's an audition of 10 songs that were almost always in the set, like Fear of the Dark, mm -hmm. Trooper, Hallowed Be Thy Name, Wrathchild. And I thought, you know what? For an hour, I'm in Iron Maiden. <laughs> right. I'm the singer, the lead singer of Iron Maiden. And that's how I approached the audition. I thought, there's nothing else I can do now. No more preparation. It's over. If I mess up, that's it. I, I, I mess up. There's no way around it. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to be the singer of Iron Maiden for an hour and no one can take that away from me. And so I knew all the drum parts because I was a huge fan and the guitar solos and the arrangements really, really well because I loved Iron Maiden. 
and it was a I felt I did okay at the audition and and then there was a second audition where they record your voice to see how you're going to be in the studio which is very very sensible and I said to Steve Harris at the time I said will I be able to get a tape of this me singing you know with the backing track of the band and he said well if you don't get it, we'll send you a tape of the bloke that did. <laughs> Which I thought was very harsh, you know. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. <laughs> so, uh, so, and that was it. And a, a few weeks later, out of the blue, I got a phone call. You're in, come to a meeting. Uh, and that was it. And it was just a roller coaster, man. So intense. And one of the things was, Steve said to me, there is no music written for the next album. I don't care who writes the songs, as long as they're great songs. If they're great, they're going on the album. And it was incredible, really. So there I was, new guy in the band, able to use my creativity with the experience that I had and the vast experience that Steve Harris and the rest of the guys had to create some really great songs that I think have stood the test of time. And that was a, a wonderful, wonderful experience for me. And the lessons that I learned there on the X Factor album, when you come to my new album, War Within Me, there's a direct link between what we did there when I was with Maiden and what I do now. The things that I learned, I've stayed with those lessons. And that's why my War Within Me album has come out as well as it has because I've been able to have this incredible time with the X Factor and later Virtual 11 where I learned so much about taking the idea that you have in your mind and making on the CD in the rehearsal room making that sound like the idea you had in your mind. And before that, things were a little bit hit and miss, but I learned that skill with Iron Maiden. And it's a short time in my career. It's five years. It's two albums. I made 11 albums of my own. I'm still touring, writing, and recording. And I have fans of my own. But, I have to say, it's probably the most influential five years of my career. What's crazy is I think X Factor just had a birthday a couple days ago, and Man on the Edge is such a great song. I think you wrote that with, with Yannick, right? So I don't know where he came from. It's yeah. just I had some lyrics. I'd watched the film with Michael Douglas, and it had a, a big effect on me because 
I felt a kind of empathy with that character because of something that had happened in my own life as a teenager. So I wrote these lyrics, I, I, looked, I watched the film and wrote the lyrics and wrote what I thought kind of captured the flavour of that movie. And Yannick had something and it kind of went together and they said, oh, right, let's see what Steve thinks of it. And he did a couple of touches to it. Next thing, it's the first single from the brand new album of Iron Maiden and I've written it and it's top 10 in the rock charts around the world and in some countries, it knocks Madonna off the top of the charts. It's incredible. That's incredible. From where I'd been to, to get to there, we had a, a, a video that went everywhere. Man, an absolutely incredible, incredible experience. The thing about that song, man, if I hear it, it's it's stuck in my head for about a day and a half after. It's such a catchy, it's a catchy tune, you know? And what's funny is I looked at the... Um, I went. I was watching the video because I don't know if I've ever really seen the video. Because in America, videos were by heavy metal bands were kind of over uh, in 1995. But I watched the video and then I start reading the comments. And I don't know if you've ever read the comments, but people go freaking crazy about the song, about the album, about your era, and it's got to make you feel good when you see that kind of stuff. I'm lucky, man. I'm very, very lucky that I had a dream of being a professional heavy metal singer, and I'm living that dream right now. And I've been at the very, very top of my profession with what I consider to be the greatest heavy metal band of all time, and more important than that, one of the greatest bands in the history of music alongside Led Zeppelin and The Who. So it's incredible for me that something that I did, part of, something from me, uh, was chosen as a single. And now, of course, it's so well known that at my concerts, I hardly have to sing the chorus at all because <laughs> it's so loud. My fans are so crazy, man. They're so loud. It's just falling over. And that just goes absolutely insane. So it's great. And, you know, we hardly ever rehearse that one because we know it so well. And then when we get it out, it just lights up, man. It's such fun to play live. It's really, really cool. And to hear people singing it. And, you know, it's 25 years old. That's crazy. 26 years old. So it's, a, it's just this old song from way back when, and some people weren't even born, and <laughs> it still means something. The quality of the song is there, you know, and, and you can feel it. It's a lot of fun to do that song live. As I was getting some questions together, there, there was something that kind of hit me about the 90s. And uh, I want to say about maybe two months ago, I talked to Tim Ripper Owens, who was in Judas Priest. Just a month, just a couple of weeks ago, I talked to John Karabi, who was in Motley Crue. Now I'm talking to you, who was in Iron Maiden. It was kind of crazy how this all kind of happened around the same time. You know, in the mid-90s, there was a shakeup where these, you know, larger-than-life singers leave these big bands 
and you know and you guys come in and and you you know maybe at the time these weren't the biggest albums by um you know any of the bands that i mentioned but everybody looks back really positively now on all these albums everybody loves the motley crew album that john karabi did they love the the ripper owens priest and they love the stuff that you did so it's kind of funny how it's looked at all these years later yeah it's that benefit of hindsight mike and i think it's the girlfriend situation where your favorite singer leaves your favorite band it's heartbreaking man and it's just like you break up with your girlfriend and you see her with a guy that is taller slimmer and has better hair than you the next week it's just (laughs) what this can't be happening to me and i understand how fans would feel and a lot of fans from that era absolutely hate me and that you know that won't change that's fine i don't mind a lot of fans go when they listen to the x factor they go bruce sounds so different (laughs) on this album Uh, and then if they're lucky they find out it's actually a completely different singer and um, go down the Blaze Bailey rabbit hole and discover 11 albums and end up liking a lot of my music. At that time, it was a confusing time in the music business. A lot of things were happening. We had grunge, which we were told here in the UK, this was the next big thing, Maiden, Priest, and all of those oldies, they were the dinosaurs, and you were watching them now, they were going to die. And it was going to be Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Soundgarden that would be our future. They were wrong. It, the future is not decided by music journalists. It's decided by fans. And metal music has something that reaches inside me and other fans and says, come on, this is a part of you. This is, this, these are the things that you feel. Whether it's Motley Crue, Van Halen, or Motorhead, Iron Maiden, whoever it is, then it reaches inside us. And we're not fair weather. Pop fans, they like a song by an artist. They won't follow the artist. They'll just go, oh, here's another song that I like. They don't care who it's by. As rock fans and music fans and metal fans, when Led Zeppelin started the idea that there would be no single, we're writing an album, I mean, people were in shock horror in the music business, but that was how our future became for rock and metal music. Later, there you are in the 80s, and records as we know them are changing. They've already taken vinyl away from us and said, oh, you can have these shiny CDs at twice the price 
and you can drive your car over them and they still work. (laughs) And of the fools that we were, we didn't say, why would I drive my car over my CD? I never drove my car over my vinyl on purpose. You know, so we, we had that. They took away our vinyl, gave us these CDs, and then when MP3 started coming, the business, the whole record industry man was in fear because bits of plastic were these things that you could make in a factory, put the price together, and you could calculate what you were going to do. And the whole bedrock of how the music industry had been working was under threat by Napster, MP3, and then Apple and EMI sold all of their factories when I joined Iron Maiden. They just got out of the manufacturing business. And that was it. So at that time, we had grunge against us. We had the fact that vinyl was almost gone completely, that that CDs were here, and now they were telling us that we were going to give up CDs and have something we couldn't see or hold, but we had to pay for it. Uh, uh, You know, uh, we bought our favorite albums three times over because of these people, and then, you know, they find, oh, it's all going wrong. We need to get interest back in these artists. Heavy metal, we need, let's have a reunion. Deep Purple, reunion. Judas Priest, reunion. Black Sabbath, reunion. Then the pressure from EMI, Iron Maiden reunion. Mm-hmm. So that's what was happening, man, back then. It's a combination of the business, of the nature of music business changing. Back then, you'd sell so many CDs, you didn't have to make a profit on tour and could take a show bigger than the entire profit for the tour and spend the money on that for spectacle. Now, every tour has to make a profit. Now, you don't sell that many CDs, or those artists don't, and they have to charge hundreds, sometimes thousands, for a meet and greet to try and get the income. A Blaze Bailey meet and greet has always been free. Awesome. Up to COVID. When there's no meeting, and the people say, "Yeah, but uh, bands have to get money in." I said, "Yeah, and you go and do your meet and greet. You charge for your meet and greet. That's you. That's the way you do things." Slight difference with me. I've got loyal fans that buy CDs and T-shirts, and I have a very, very modest lifestyle. I don't need that much money, but what I do need is my wonderful fans to have the best possible album. And I need to say to those fans that support me through thick and thin, thank you for believing in me and supporting me in my dream. That's more important to me than anything else. I just don't want to make a few bucks here and there by signing things. I want to say thank you to the people that make it possible for me to keep going. So I've always done a free 
meet and greet. Now that's changed because of COVID. I can't do a meet and greet at all. And it feels horrible, absolutely horrible. And that's the thing that I hope will change. One cool thing, uh, this will be the last thing I'll say about Maiden, is they actually play the songs from your era live with Bruce. And with those other bands we mentioned, they sweep those albums under the rug. They never happen. We don't sing those songs. That's one cool thing I'll give Maiden credit. They actually play some of those songs that you did with them. Well, that's because it's a real band that makes real music and we were all 100% committed at the time and to not acknowledge that era of change is to say, well, it wasn't our choice, we didn't really like it, so we didn't put 100%, those songs aren't as good, Maiden put those songs in their set and do songs from every album from the past, including the first two albums and my two albums, because everything was done with heart. Everything was meant. Everything was with passion. And to not have songs from the Paul Diano or Blaze Bailey era is to say, we weren't passionate at that time. We just did it for the money. That's not Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden is the music. Iron Maiden is passion. And they are obstinate and willful, and they will not capitulate or give in to anyone else's idea of what Maiden should or shouldn't be. And that's why we all still Love them. Well, man, it's been great talking with you about all this stuff. And I, like I said, I really wish you a lot of luck with this album. I'm going to put a link, um, especially to the, the, the lyric video for War Within Me, because if anybody out there has just lost touch with you, you know, since the maiden days and they haven't followed your solo career, they got to jump in now and they got to check this out because War Within Me, the album and the song itself is one of those songs that's like, like I said, with Man on the Edge, you play that. It's a rocking song, and it's going to be stuck in your head for a while. So, <laughs> Well, thanks, Mike. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been great talking to you, and good luck with your podcast. Thank you so much for having me, and I'd just like to say to any fans of mine that are listening, thank you so much for believing in me and keeping the faith and being part of this incredible journey and this incredible dream. I really appreciate your time, man. Great discussion. Oh, thanks, Mike. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, that was great talking with Blaze. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Rock on!